Uh, we're talking about relationships. If this is your first week or if it's your second week, we're, we're in a series for a handful of weeks talking about how our relationships can move beyond uh, wherever they are right now, that we can learn God's wisdom, that we can learn what God has to say for the relationships that we have in our life. And I want you just to try to think about your relationships and wherever they are right now. And again, whether that's your marriage or it's your parenting or it's your uh, friendships, or your community, it's in church, it's coworkers, what, whatever it is, think about your relationships and what if they could get better? What if your relationships, wherever they are right now, could get better? And for some of us, and I know, I, I talk to you, some of us say, man, my relationships are really bad right now and they're, they're in pain. And it, maybe not all your relationships, but particular ones. What if those could get better? And for some of us, it's just we want to develop relationships. We want to actually have relationships. And what if that could get better? And for some of us, our relationships, we feel are really good. There's, there's a lot of strength in them. There's a lot of health in them, but they can always get better. Relationships are a lifelong thing. Whether you've been married for one year or you've been married for 40 years, you still want your relationship to get better. Whether you've been a parent for one year or you have uh, been a parent for 40 years, those relationships can get better. We, we want our relationships to get better. What if they could? What if wherever they are right now, there's more? What if you could move beyond wherever they are currently? And today we're going to talk about serving and talk about serving one another. And that's a big part of our relationships. All the relationships we have involve serving in some way. Even your co-working relationships involve serving. Your parenting obviously involves serving. Your marriage involves serving. Our friendships involve serving. All of our relationships involve serving. And for some of us, that might be a big tension point. It might be kind of the complaints that you have in your relationship, that you're not receiving what you're giving, or that people aren't helping out in various ways, or it might be what's tiring for you. It might be what you enjoy, but, but there's difficulty in it, times in our relationship, at times in our relationship, it's hard to want to serve. And maybe particular people, it's hard to want to serve. It's hard sometimes to know how to serve. What's the best way to serve the people in our life? Sometimes it's just hard to endure in serving. It's difficult. And we need help. And the more that we understand how to serve, why to serve, what it looks like to serve, this is such a crucial, important part of our relationships that it will add deeper health. So I want you just to think about a relationship. This is what I said last week, and really, maybe you can change it throughout uh, the series, but it'd be helpful if you can kind of say, here's one or maybe two people. Try to have one or two people in mind that you say, what would it look like if I could just grow in this relationship? You, you probably have a lot of relationships, but you can't pick every single person and say, okay, I'm going to grow here. But what if you could just pick a couple? Maybe it's the one that you love the most. And you can just tell that person, you're the one that I love the most. If you have kids, you can just tell them which one it is. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it, you, but you can say, maybe it's the one that you love the most and you just want greater health in. Or maybe it's the one that's the most challenging right now. It's the most difficult right now. But if there could be greater health in that, it would add a lot of quality into your life. So just think about a relationship as we go through this. And wouldn't that relationship be better if you could grow in understanding how to serve? If you could have a heart that delighted in serving, had more joy in serving, and knew how to serve better? How do we, 
How do we do that? That's what we're going to talk about today. And we'll start with this. What does it look like to move beyond basic in our serving? What does it look like to move beyond basic? And, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to put down several different ways that we often think about serving and then talk about how the Bible actually fills that out in greater depth, how it moves us beyond some of how we normally think about our serving. And we're going to look at five different ways. Here's the first one, emotional. So oftentimes our serving is emotional. What I mean by that is this, um, September 11th or big crises that happen, hurricanes, things like that. A lot of times there's, hey, we need, maybe it's Red Cross, we need blood donations. And people, there's this emotional appeal. They get more blood than they, than they can actually use. They get more blood than they actually know what to do with. Things like that happen and it, it moves our heartstrings and we serve. Or sometimes it's maybe you have a friend that has a GoFundMe. Uh, you've probably had several friends that have, maybe it's hospital bills or some sort of crisis that's happened in their life or some sort of need that's happened in their life or maybe even just something that they want to do in their life. And there's a GoFundMe that's created and you give to that and you support that and you get excited about that. And there's kind of this emotional giving or serving that happens. On Easter, which was a, a great day here a couple, a couple weeks ago, we had a giant party. We had tons of people here. It was crazy. And man, so many people in our church said, what can I do? How can I help? What can I do? How can I help? And that, that's awesome. And there's kind of this emotional serving that a lot of times that we do, or this big serving that sometimes we do. Even if you want to kind of just put that within the context of your, your family or your marriage, sometimes uh, we think about, man, maybe I, I, haven't been very, I haven't been around very much, or what, what could I do to just do something big? And maybe there's a big vacation that you plan, or a big gift that you plan for your kids or for your spouse, and some big kind of emotional thing. And we serve in that way. And it feels good, and it's something that we like to do. But the Bible calls us to something. It's not that those things are bad, but the Bible calls us to something more. It calls us to be consistent in our serving. That's a big difference from just the kind of emotional giving or serving that happens versus a consistent serving that happens. Look, look at this passage with me. John 13 says, When Jesus had washed their feet, he washes the disciples' feet and put on his outer clothing. He reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly, since that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Now think about this foot washing that happens. We're going to do this in just, a, in just a moment here. No, I'm just kidding. Feet are disgusting. Feet are gross, right? Now, maybe you have a foot fetish and you disagree, but feet are, feet are gross. Feet are nasty. I saw this uh, post on a church Facebook group, and uh, not our church Facebook group, but another church Facebook group, and it was some college group, and they were making tacos with their feet. It was like a, some sick competition of making tacos with your feet. I don't know if I'll ever eat tacos again after seeing that, and it's nasty, and feet are gross, and back then, feet were even grosser. Because they didn't have tennis shoes. They walked around in their, in their sandals and their toes were getting, I mean, on the, we're not talking about paved streets. We're talking about animal poop all over the place. We're talking about all sorts of nasty stuff. And Jesus, 
teacher and Lord, gets down on his knees, grabs, these are also fishermen, dirty, hairy fisherman toes. He grabs those hairy, nasty feet and washes them. That's nasty, right? It's gross. I promise you, I will never do that to you. But Jesus does. He washes their feet. And what that's showing is this. He says, he, he wants, he, I mean, it, it's so kind of intentional and proactive of him to leave this image. He says, I did this so that you understand this is how I want you to serve. Basic, daily, mundane serving. This is not this kind of big emotional, just kind of serve when you feel like it, serve when it feels good. It's just a basic, mundane, dirty, constant, consistent serving that Jesus shows to us. There's a, there's a quote by an author, Richard Foster, that I've always loved, and he says this, in some ways, we would prefer to hear Jesus' call to deny father and mother houses and land for the sake of the gospel than his word to wash feet. Radical self-denial gives the feel of adventure, but in service, we much experience the many little deaths of going beyond ourselves. Service banishes us to the mundane, the ordinary, the trivial. This is what Jesus calls us to. This is what it looks like to move beyond just kind of emotional or even extravagant serving into the consistent mundane over and over again. Think, think about it's easier in some ways to buy a, a spa day for someone you love, a spouse, than it is to just every day do the dishes. Now, I'm not, some of you are like, I want the spa day. I'll take this spa day. That's fine. Do that too. But that's easier, right? It's easier to be like, I'm sorry, or, you know, I haven't been around. So I just want to do kind of this big thing instead of just the daily, often foot washing that we're called to. It's easier to take your kids to Disneyland or to an amusement park or some trip than it is to say, we're going to commit every day to doing a family devotion time where we read the word and we, we pray and I disciple my kids. It's easier sometimes to do the big things than it is to just do the consistent things that we are called to. It's easier maybe to be a martyr in some sense, is what he's saying, than it is to say, I'm actually just going to be on setup and set up in the church. It's easier to say, I'll die, than it is to say, I'll do the daily little deaths that take place, where I actually give up my freedom. And I give up just my feelings in the moment, and I actually commit myself to something. That's why the constant encouragement in the Bible around many things, but around serving, is things like this that say, as for you, brothers and sisters, do not grow weary in doing good. Do not grow weary in doing good. But we don't need to hear that call if it's not something that we are doing consistently. You need to hear this call if this is something that we are consistently in, and then God wants to speak into our lives and say, don't grow weary. Keep going. But no one needs to hear that just for GoFundMe or for a big project. Or We need to hear this for the consistent lives of ongoing serving. Honestly, what I think of when I think of this, and this isn't to shame any dads, but I think of you, and I, maybe I should have saved this sermon for next week for Mother's Day, but I think of mothers that are just constantly serving. That's basically all they do for a long, long time. Just serving, wiping, feeding, 
answering, Mom, Mom, Mom. Just constantly serving, day in, day out. Not just when I feel like it, not just, does my kid have a GoFundMe? But the constant (laughs) serving over and over and over again. Literally washing feet, literally washing other parts, you know. Do not grow weary in doing good. That's the call that, that we need to hear. What Jesus is calling us to, what the Bible calls us to in our relationships is not just kind of this emotional or extravagant serving, but a consistent serving. Think about your relationships. Is this what they look like? As we go through each of these things, I'm going to ask you kind of those assessment questions. Is is this what it looks like for you right now? And what would it look like if it did? What, What daily habits or weekly habits do you need to add into your life? Where do you need to commit yourself instead of just when it feels good, I'll do something? Where do you need to say, I am committed to this. I give myself to this. No longer just the freedom of being emotional to serve when you want, but to actually say, I'm committing myself to a consistent serving. This is the first one. Second is action. Now, action is good, and there's a lot of talk uh, that we have different phrases where we say things like, put your money where your mouth is, or talk is cheap. And so we know that words are not enough, that we need action, right? We know that uh, sometimes we say things, but we don't back it up. We, what's the other phrase? The, you know, you, you talk the talk, but you got to walk the walk, right? We have all these phrases to say words aren't enough. We need to have action. And that's true. Because a lot of times we do, especially as Christians, we use a lot of words. I use a lot of words. I know that. I've got a lot coming out right now, right? <laughs> we use a lot of words. We say, I'll pray for you. We say, God bless you. We might write someone an encouraging note. We might text someone, I'm praying for you. We might, uh, maybe we don't even have time for that. We just send them the praying hands emoji. And we, we, we use a lot of words as Christians a lot of times. Say, God bless. And man, I'm so thankful. But sometimes that just feels good. And sometimes that just looks good. But we don't actually do anything. So I'm saying that to say action is important. And yet that's not all. The Bible moves us beyond just action. It moves us beyond just action. And if you think about your relationships and you say, I I need to not just talk, I need to act. Okay, that's a starting place. But it moves us beyond that. That's kind of basic level one. What the Bible calls us to is sacrifice. To not just do acts of love but to have sacrificial love, to have not just acts of service, but sacrificial service. Let me give you a few different places that it says this. 1 John 3.16 says, this is how we have come to know love. He, that's talking about Jesus, laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has the world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? This says that God's love is sacrificial. He didn't just do something. He laid down his life. That is, that is saying, here is what love looks like. Here's how you know if you love. Is your love self-sacrificing? Does it look something like laying down your life? That's different from just action. That has to be the guide. The guide can't just be, did I do something? Did I do anything? The guide has to be, 
Jesus laid down his life for us. He gave us everything. Jesus didn't just come to wash feet. He came and laid his life down. He gave up everything. That has to be what love, our definition of love is. That's pushing us further than just do you not only talk but do something. It's pushing us into does it cost me my life? Let me give you another example of sacrificial love that the Bible talks about. This is in Acts as the church gets started, the beginning of the church getting formed. And look what it says. There was not a needy person among them because all those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed to each person as any had need. Have you ever sold your house or your land and given it? That's radical, right? This is sacrificial. This is them hearing the words of Jesus. This is them seeing the life of Jesus and him laying down his life and them not saying, here's a dollar. It's them saying, what would it look like to look at Jesus laying down his life and have that then affect how I give? I've never taken an offering and gone through the offering and seen a deed to someone's house. That's never happened. This is what they did. That's radical, right? There's, that's a, that is them understanding a sacrificial love. Not just a love that acts, but a love that moves to, I'm giving everything. Here's another passage. And I could go through the whole Bible and do this, but 2 Corinthians 8, 3 through 4, this is talking about a financial gift that Paul is asking the churches to give. And he says, I can testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. This says they moved beyond their ability. Again, that's sacrificial. It's not what do I have. It's not what can I do. It's how can I even go beyond what I think I can do? How can I go beyond whatever my ability is? How can I go beyond what I think is safe and what I think fits into my life and what feels comfortable and what feels uh, manageable? And it says they begged to do this. Please let me go beyond my ability to give. This is moving from just action to sacrifice. You see that? There's a big difference there. Because one, it's pretty easy to kind of just check a box and say, okay, I did something. The other is to actually look at our life and go, does it look in some way like I'm dying? Does it look like in some way I've lost my life? When you look at your relationships, again, those, we have tons of relationships. You look at your marriage, you look at your family, you look at your church, you look at your community, you look at your coworkers, you look at your friendships. When you think about love, do you stop at love is not just talking. Don't just tell me you love me. Show me you love me. Do you stop there or do you move further to see how the Bible defines it, which is to say the way that we serve should be looking at Jesus and the way he served was giving his life. Can we point to choices? I'm not saying you have to sell your house and sell your land. But can we point to choices in our life that look something like that? Should it be that 
that was just then. And oh man, they were all billionaires back then, right? They just owned a lot of Amazon stock and that's how they could do that. Well, we have way more money than they had. Should it, sh- we should be able to look at choices in our life that it's true, that it looks something like that. We should be able to point to choices and a pattern where our comfort, our time, our money, our energy is sacrificed. It should look in some ways like not just manageable, but I've died. There is a life I could have. Think about it like this. There's a life I could have. There's energy I could have. There's time I could have. There's money I could have. There's stuff I could have. There's a quality of life or a style of life. I could have this, and I've said no. Instead, I'm choosing this. That's sacrifice. That's laying down my life. What if we did that? Think about your relationships. What if we did that? Wouldn't that be transformative? Wouldn't that change things? Wouldn't that, I mean, even, that would change our world, really. This is what we're called to. And then third, there's kind of random serving. And again, none of these, don't don't hear any of these as this is bad. It's just that we are to move beyond this. The Bible pushes us further than this. There's random serving, which uh, there's a movie several years old now, but that kind of popularized the idea of random acts of kindness, okay? Random acts of kindness, great idea. You see someone and just do something nice for them. Anytime I drive by a lemonade stand, I love to just give them money, buy some lemonade. Usually I take a drink and then toss it because it's nasty. But just I, I love to support kid entrepreneurs and just it's kind of a random act of kindness. I'm not saying today I'm going to find a lemonade stand. It's just I see them, give them some money. There you go. Okay. Now don't try to sell me lemonade. I'm not going to buy it from you you're, unless you're a kid. Then I'll buy it from you. This is popular. Um, Sometimes you see these videos on Facebook or Instagram of someone going into a restaurant giving a big giant tip to somebody, right? And the waitress or the waiter's crying and, oh, this is so beautiful. And and that's great. I was a waiter for a long time. And I never got one that was video worthy, but I got, you know, someone one time that was an alumni from the same college I was uh, going to school at. And she gave me like a $100 tip. And I was like, oh, man. She's like, have a great time at your school. That's so good. So those are beautiful, okay? Do that. But the Bible calls us so much further than just these random acts of kindness or just, again, kind of this emotional serving that we at times do. What does the Bible tell us? It tells us to be intentional in our serving. There's a big difference than just randomness where we choose when, how, what to do and intentionality. Here's some of the places that we see this. 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes, See to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good for one another and for all. That idea of pursuing means you are looking for it. You're trying to find ways to do it. You are seeking after it. You're you're pursuing what is good for one another, that's the Christian family, and for all. You are going after it. You're pursuing it. Or... In Philippians, he says, everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. That idea of looking is a word that has a bunch of intentionality in it. 
It's to say that you are to proactively seek how to look after the interests of other people. That's a proactivity. That's an intentionality. It's not just random. It's pursuit. It's seeking or looking or trying or a diligent searching. It's an intentionality. Now listen, we do this for ourselves, right? You are diligent in seeking your interests. That's why he says, not just to your own interests, because we already do that. We all seek our interests in various ways. Maybe you set goals and say, where do I want to be in life? And what do I want to buy? Or what weight do I want to be? Or what health do I want to have? Or what, what, what home projects do I want to do because it would be good for my quality of life? Or what things look like? Or what, We all seek our own interests all the time. If you've ever gone on Yelp or Google reviews before choosing a place, you're seeking your own interests. I never eat anywhere. If the stars aren't a certain level, I never go anywhere. I won't even, I, I won't do anything if the stars aren't there. I hate it. I trust in Google and I trust in Yelp because I seek my own interests. I don't want to eat crap. I want to eat something good. I don't want to go to a place or coffee. I, I want to seek my own interests, right? I don't watch any movies that don't have a certain Rotten Tomatoes rating. I seek, I don't want to waste my time. I seek my own interests. Now, you might not be that intense as I am, but I, I'm, a, I'm kind of a ratings junkie. But you seek your own interests. We all do that. And not just you, people do that for you. The algorithm does that for you. When Netflix says, we think you'll like this. They are seeking your interests for profit, but when, when they say, we think you would like this book on Amazon, or we think you would like this product based on your search history, we think you would like this. Based on us listening to your phone, we think you would like this, right? They are seeking your interests. They're seeking their interests, but they're making you think that you're, they're seeking your interests. That is pursuit. That's what it looks like, which is why he tells us, pursue. Look after the interests of other people. Wouldn't that change your relationships? That's a big difference from saying something like this. And I don't, if you've said this in the last couple days, or if, if you've said this regularly, I don't say this to make you feel guilty. Some of you have heard me say this before. It's a big difference from saying this phrase. If there's anything I can do, let me know. See, that's saying, if there's anything I can do to help you, you let me know. Instead of what Paul is saying here is you should go pursue, you should think about what it would look like to serve, and you should do it. You should be proactively thinking, how can I serve you? What can I do for you? How can I help you? Instead of putting the weight and the onus on somebody else to say, if there's anything that I could ever do, let me know. If I were to say to my wife, if, I, if you ever need flowers, let me know. If I can ever help around the house, just let me know. Until then, I will be happy on my movie that has a 90% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, right? If I just say, let me know. One time we had a, a friend that came up to us, and we, I think we were having a hard day or something at church, and uh, they said, hey, I, I would love to, I'd love to bring you a meal today. We said, that's so kind of you, thank you. But if they had come up and said, hey, if there's anything I can do for you, it looks like you're having a rough day. If there's anything I can do for you, let me know. I wouldn't have said, could you bring me a meal tonight? I wouldn't have said that. Right? And then probably you would feel like I was rude if I said that. Go, how could you, how could you say that to somebody? 
They said, if there's anything I could do, let me know. Yes, I'd like you to do this, 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 this. But see, if we do that, what does it do? It feels good. feels nice. I, hey, I offered my help. I, I'd let them know if there's anything I can do. Just, you just let me. Listen, by the way, this is not a sermon on work, but it might help you in your job. If in your job you say, hey, if there's any way I can help around more, let me know. That's not that great. But if you are a person that's proactive and continually saying, hey, can I do this? Can I work on this? Those are the kind of people that get promoted. Those are the kind of people that get more responsibility handed to them. Is the people that are aggressively saying, I want to serve. How can I do that? And keep pushing in. What if we did that in our relationships? What if we took it upon ourselves to say, I'm going to look where people have needs. I'm going to look at where people have hurts. I'm going to look and I'm going to act. I'm going to try to learn and try to come up with ideas and take it upon myself. I'm not saying you can never ask someone how you can help, but if you do, it should be done seriously and with intentionality. That says, I mean, I often sit down with my wife and she does the same with me and say, hey, how can I serve you better? That's, that's different though than saying, if there's anything I can do, let me know. It's actually wanting feedback so that we can then act upon it. There's an intentionality behind that as well. And, and let me even just kind of show you a little bit more on this. If you want to live this way, you, you can't do it trying to fit things in. There has to be an intentionality of just how you build your life as a whole. This is a, a principle from the Old Testament that I, I want to show you in Leviticus. And they were an agricultural society, but it's talking about when they're, um, when they're harvesting from their fields. It says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you are not to reap to the very edge of your field. So think about a big square field like you see as you're flying on a plane. Think, since most of us aren't farmers, that's probably the only thing you ever see. A uh, big square field. And don't go to the very edge of it in your harvesting. Get the, get the center part of it. Don't go to the very edge or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not strip your vineyard bare or gather its fallen grapes. Leave them for the poor and the resident alien, that's the immigrant, I am the Lord your God. So this is saying there should be a proactivity in how we build our life. What's this mean for, for you? You probably don't have a field, right? You probably don't have something that you're harvesting, and this doesn't apply to that, but this is talking about the source of their economic thriving. It's talking about their work. It's talking about their time. It's talking about their livelihood. It's talking about their energy, and it's saying, don't go, don't get the max. Build your life in such a way where you are intentionally building margin in for others. We have to build margin proactively into our life with time and finances and all of that, so that we, are, we have space to be intentional to give to others. If you just try to fit in intentionality, it won't happen. We have to actually build space that we can do that. I've known people that say, you know what, I'm going to buy a house and make sure it has a guest room so we can let people live with us when that need occurs. <clears throat> There's all sorts of different ways that you can think through. What does it mean to be intentional and to build our life in such a way that I am intentionally having a life that has space to serve others? What would that look like in your relationships? What would it look like in your marriage and in your family to say, I am being intentional, not just random in my serving? 
And then there is moving from self-reliant. Sometimes we are self-reliant, which is to say that we can be uh, depending on ourselves in our serving of other people. Or um, not receiving serving. At times, we are only counting on ourselves. So it means we're too proud to ask for help, or it means we're too proud to ask for others to help us help other people. So we will be the one that does it. We'll take it all upon ourselves. Wouldn't say this probably, but it's kind of that I, you know, I'm, I'll take it for the team and. We kind of have to be the hero. We have to be the one that does it. We have to be the one that helps. We have to be the one that serves. We have to say yes to everything. We want to be the one that serves, and we don't actually bring other people into it at times. And I don't, some of this is, you know, for some of you, this is probably not applicable, but I know that there's a certain kind of person that often is just constantly, constantly, constantly serving. Some of us need to hear, you need to serve, but sometimes it's just that we are the ones doing it always, and we're self-reliant, thinking that that's actually what God wants us to do, and it's not. Instead, we need to be dependent, to be dependent on God, to be dependent on other people, to be dependent on how God has designed us. Let me show you um, a couple places in this. Acts 4.32 says, Now the entire group of those who believed were of one heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common. This is kind of going back to that idea that we talked about, where they are serving, they're giving, they lay down their houses, they lay down their lands. It said that none of them were in need, but it says the entire group. This wasn't just kind of one person that was serving. It was a community that was serving one another. And then kind of a a little different angle on this, uh, when you go to the Gospels where Jesus and the disciples, they're constantly teaching and healing and doing all of this ministry. And there's this scene in Mark 6 where it says, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. For many people were coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they went away in the boat by themselves to a remote place. Think about this. Like, we can look at their ministry and go, man, there's so much to do, and Jesus was always serving people and help. But even Jesus himself and taught, you need to rest. Come away to a remote place. This is why we have all these boats here. We're going to put this into practice, actually, today. going to give everybody a boat and go rest today. Come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest. See, this is, this is moving from just, I kind of have to do it all. I've got to always do it. I've got to do it by myself to there's a dependency of God has given a community to serve. God actually wants me to be able to rest. This changes how we do things. We need Sabbath. We need breaks. Oftentimes, if we don't do that, it actually hurts our serving. We actually burn out. We do it with no joy. We actually hurt people more than we help them. And then one final one of what this looks like is that oftentimes, whoa, I don't know why the slide did that. That's strange. That's never happened before. Uh, But that says reciprocal. Okay, oftentimes we think of serving in a way that is reciprocal, which means that we give to others 
and then we expect them to give back to us. But what if they don't? Maybe you have relationships like that where you are the one that you feel like is constantly giving but not getting anything in return. You're giving and there's not thankfulness. You're giving and there's not appreciation. You're giving and there's not, uh, it doesn't even seem like anyone sees or cares. Maybe you feel like I'm the one that's always inviting people over to my house and no one's inviting me to theirs. Or maybe you feel like I'm constantly doing things around the house and no one even notices, no one even cares. I'm constantly doing things at work. There's no recognition. We want it to be reciprocal. This is often a complaint that happens in marriages where people talk about it being one-sided. feel like I'm the one always giving and no one else is. Obviously, that is what we would like. It's what we would strive for. It's what should be. But the Bible actually calls us in our serving to be gracious, which means we serve even when people don't deserve it. We serve even when people haven't earned it. We serve even when there isn't any thanks, even when there isn't any appreciation, even when there isn't any recognition. Look what Jesus says. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do what is good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do what is good and lend expecting nothing in return. That's really pushing us to grace. Saying if you just do what's good and you just love and you just help out those that do the same to you, that at its core is the same thing that people that don't know God at all do. Jesus has loved us with grace and calls us to love with grace. Where in your relationships have you maybe stopped serving because you haven't gotten back? Where in your relationships do you feel like you've given and haven't received? Jesus says not to expect. Not to expect. Think about how freeing that would be, actually. I know this is a challenging call, but think about how freeing it would actually be. To say, I'm just going to give and not expect anything back. I'm going to serve and not expect anything back. And then anything I do get, that's just icing on the cake. Think about how freeing that would be. This is what Jesus calls us into. So this is what it looks like when we ask this question, what does it look like to move beyond basic in our serving? That's the picture in our relationships. This would be better, right? If we could serve like that, if we could actually be intentional and we could be consistent and we could be gracious and we could be sacrificial, that would be better in our relationships. And, and here's one other thought I want to give you of what this means. It means that this is the kind of community that God wants you to experience. Why would God give us all these commands? Why would God give us all this instruction that says, here's what I want it to look like. I want it to be consistent, sacrificial, intentional. The, the Bible is filled, and I'm, I'm really just giving you a sampling, but you know what that means? It means God wants you to experience this kind of serving. It means he wants you to give it. Yes, yes, okay? And that's really what I want you to think about and, and really take, but what it means is, this is, what, this is the kind of community God is trying to create that he wants you to be able to be a part of and experience. If you have, if you have kids and, 
you have a babysitter come, you might give them kind of a long list of, okay, make sure they do this and make sure they don't do this and make sure to give them this and we do this kind of story or we do this kind of thing. Or, and you give kind of rules and those rules are both be- things that you don't want to happen and things you do want to happen because you love your kid and you're handing them to a stranger or to you know, someone you hopefully know a little bit or did a background check on or something, but you're handing them over, whether that's at daycare or it's a babysitter or whatever it is, or even at school. But you're saying, I want you to, to make sure they're taken care of. And when God is giving all these instructions to the church and how relationships are to be, he's saying, I want you to experience this. God God is giving this recipe because he wants us to be experiencing a consistent serving, a sacrificial serving, intentional, dependent, gracious serving. That's a good God that would design things in this way. Now, last thing is what can help us serve in this way? Because I'm saying this is moving beyond basic, which means it probably is more challenging. As you hear those things, as you read those things, it can be it can be challenging, maybe even overwhelming to say, man, I, I was kind of good with not just saying I love you, but doing something every once in a while. I was kind of good with uh, GoFundMe. I was kind of good with just some of those things. This can be overwhelming. It can be challenging. Maybe we even feel like, well, I guess I suck as a friend. I'm not, I'm not doing anything well. What can help us? What can help us to grow, to have the kind of heart that serves in this way? That he's calling us to. And there's three things I want to show you. The first thing is this. Jesus says that whatever we do for other people, we are doing to him. And with that motive in our heart and our mind, it transforms how we serve. Look what he says, Matthew 25. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or without clothes and clothes you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? The king will answer them, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Whatever we did for any of the least of these brothers and sisters, that's Christians, we did to him. There's other places in the Bible that give us this same idea, but it's saying that as we serve each other, when we have need, we are serving him. That's a different kind of motivation than just what will they give me or do what will they do for me to say, I'm actually serving Jesus as I serve them. What what if you believed that in your serving? What if you believed, I'm serving Jesus right now? How would that change how we serve? That would help each of the relationships that we have. And then a second motivation that we have is that Jesus sees the serving that you do. He sees the serving that you do. And here's why this is so important. Sometimes people say something about serving. They say, oh, it's so rewarding when you serve. It's so rewarding. Sometimes. Not always. A lot of times when people say that, they're talking about kind of the emotional serving and the big project serving and the, I posted it on social media serving. But a lot of times, it's not very rewarding. A lot of times, it's unseen 
unthanked, unappreciated, hard, washing dirty feet. A lot of times it's really difficult when we serve. But the motivation that the Bible gives to us is that God sees it. God sees what you are doing. Hebrews says, for God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love that you demonstrated for his name. That's kind of connecting to the first idea. By serving the saints and by continuing to serve them. He will not forget. God sees the serving that you do. God sees the serving that you do here on Sunday for those of you that serve in the church. God sees the serving that you mothers and fathers do. God sees the serving that you spouses do. God sees, God sees all the serving that we do. God sees the serving that you do in your work and in your job. Every unthanked thing that you have done where you have served, God sees. And it says, don't neglect to do what is good and to share for God is pleased with such sacrifices. God sees it, and God's pleased with it. So that's a different kind of motivation than, this is so rewarding, and it feels so good, and, or reciprocation where, oh, they thanked me, and that feels good, and they were so happy, so it feels good to say, God sees it, and God's pleased. That's a different kind of motivation that we can always have, whether people acknowledge it or see it or not. And then the final thing is this. The final motivation that we have to serve in all the ways that we're called to that move beyond basic is to remember how he has served us. To remember how he has served you. See, Jesus says this, even the Son of Man did not come to be served. The Son of Man is what he calls himself. Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He says, I came to serve. I came to give my life. And one other passage that shows us this in Philippians, Paul says, this one that we looked at, everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interest of others. But then he goes on to talk about what really helps us to do that. And he says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So here's what he just does. He says, I want you to serve other people. I want you to serve. I want you to proactively serve, intentionally serve. I want you to do that. And then he moves into saying, look at Jesus. Remember how he did that for you. Remember how he had everything and gave it up to serve you. Remember how, though he was in perfect community, he gave it up and experienced life being betrayed and with fickle human friends. Remember how he had all the riches in heaven and gave it up to become a poor baby. Remember how he was God and then took on human flesh, added humanity to his godness to experience all the frailty and the weakness and the suffering and the temptation that comes with being a human. Remember how he lowered himself to serve you. Remember what he gave up to serve you. Remember how he went to the point of death, humbling himself to serve you. See, what helps us to serve in the way that God calls us to is as we see, first of all, that it's done for him, then to see that he sees it and he's pleased with it, 
but also to remember how he has served us. In every single way that we talked about, consistency, intentionality, graciously, sacrificially, he has served us in those ways. God intentionally serves you. God consistently serves you. God graciously serves us. God sacrificially served us in giving us his son. All the ways that we are called to, what will help us to serve that way is as we remember, that's how he has served me. My serving isn't dependent on other people. It's dependent on the way he has served me first. There has never been, and there is not now in your life, a God who is uncaring or a God who's unavailable. God reveals himself as servant to you. And that was true then, and it's true now. And the more that we see that, the more we are able to serve like that in all of our relationships. So we're going to take communion in just a moment. And as we take communion, what we are doing is remembering this. We're remembering the ultimate serving that Paul just talked about. The serving, the, the humbling, the obedience unto death where Jesus became the suffering servant. And on the cross served us in the most gracious way possible, in the most sacrificial way possible, taking our sin upon himself and forgiving us, giving us his righteousness, bringing us into his family. This is the ultimate way that you and I have been served. So as you take communion, remember that, reflect upon that, and confess sin. Confess where we have limited our serving. Confess where we have not served, where we have received and received and received and received and just been content with that. So confess and remember what he's done for you. And then I don't know what your action is from this, but I would, I would pray and consider what the next step is for you. Who do you need to serve? What does it look like to move into serving in these ways in your relationships with your family, with your spouse, with your coworkers, in our church? What does it mean for you? Imagine if we could serve in the ways that the Bible gives to us. Imagine a heart filled with joy and hands filled with greater wisdom and intentionality in how we serve. This is the kind of community that God is creating and that he wants to bring us into. Pray with me. Father, I thank you for serving us in ways that we don't deserve and in ways that we could never um, earn. Thank you for being the perfect servant. Thank you for being the perfect servant, Jesus, as you came to this earth as a human. But thank you that you are the perfect servant even now, giving us the Holy Spirit whom you call the helper. That you reveal yourself as perfect servant. We thank you that that is the God that we have in you. And we pray that you would help us as a community to model that kind of serving, to grow in that kind of serving in each of our relationships and in our church. Lord, use this time as we take communion and as we sing to deepen these truths into our heart. In your name, Jesus.